Apocalypse Rock Chapter 43 The Truth in Darkness A gust of wind and a splatter of rain shook the window, waking Doug up. His shirt was soaked in a cold sweat. He stumbled out into the corridor. He looked in on Dora and Irene. He could see the gentle motions of their breathing. He went to the bathroom. In the mirror, his face was sallow, but the bruise on his head was healing, and the stain from Hubble's secret sauce was fading, thankfully. He disinfected and redressed the bandage on his right hand. It was still red and painful. He double-checked all the locks on the doors and made sure the windows had been closed properly. At the front door, he took the glass cylinder out of his jacket pocket, clutching its cold weightlessness in his hand. He returned to his bed. He tried to take a picture of it again, using his phone. Still just a blank screen. He put the cylinder on the bedside table and pulled the warm covers back over him. Just as he got comfortable, his phone vibrated. Siobhan had messaged. I'll be on the first flight in. I think it was a mistake to threaten Sharon. But that's really scary what you describe about the school counsellor. I think the girls should have a mini break. I can take them to their grandma on the mainland until all this blows over. Doug wrote back. Yes, it was a mistake but couldn't help it. Good idea with a mini-break. Doug was still confused as to whether what he experienced earlier that night in the pub had been real, imagined, or otherwise hallucinated. He looked through local Facebook pages on the Undertow site and whatever other blogs might have been posted about it all, but there was nothing. His phone vibrated again. Another message from Siobhan. I'm in a taxi to the airport now. Osmar is with me. He's going to the retreat. I'll come get the kids as soon as I arrive. Please get their stuff ready. Later ferries might get cancelled from the storm, so we'll leave right away. Doug went to Shining Wind's Instagram profile. The past couple of days showed images of what looked like the woods on Costo, of the giant trees towering up into the sky, and the sea reaching out into the distance, of the young man standing on Arbiter's perch, staring out into the horizon. There were a series of videos from the art exhibition, showing the abstract paintings, their vectors and vortices. Over those images, Shining Wind had added colourful, animated text. Avant now. Accelerationism before accelerationists. Transcendental abstraction is healing. The spirit is eternal. And so on. The most recent post was a black square. Doug clicked on it. A press-play arrow popped up over the square. Doug tapped it. A grainy video began. Shot in slow motion, it showed Sweetland's police truck engulfed in flames. The dog corpse is just a burning blur. Shining Wind had added a filter that accentuated the oranges and reds of the curling flames, overlaying it with a grainy old camcorder video effect. Doug could see the crowd of pub-goers glowing in the orange light, everyone still and silent, hypnotized by the burning truck and its grisly contents. In the caption below the video, Shining Wind had pasted a quote. Fire that's closest kept burns most of all. William Shakespeare. Doug opened the comments thread. There were hundreds of them. How do you get this through the block? Was the first comment. 
Duck scrolled down. Another comment stuck out. Now it is time. Tomorrow night the bones sing again. The mountain will burn. Who will split the rock? What thunderous shattering shall call the angels of the apocalypse? That comment had thousands of likes and black heart and flame emoji responses. Duck scrolled further down, reaching the end of the thread. He recognized the last commenter. It was the beachcomber. Their post had a pylon of dislikes and angry face emoji responses. I have a beef, stinking wind, read the post. You're playing guru with your cult friends up a mountain, but they work for the evil you once claimed to be against. They're taking that island over so they can cover up all their evil doings. What would hashtag Alexander Supertramp say? I made a video about how stinking wind and golden fears work for the military-industrial complex. There was a link. Doug pasted it into his browser. It opened his YouTube app. Ahoy there. The beachcomber's voice greeted over a black screen. The numeral 10 appeared in white. Let's count down from 10 to 0 and pray the algos pass over us. As the numbers went to 0, the woman followed the countdown in her emotionless voice. 3, 2, 1, 0. Fan, Corbin, Swish, Colic. A rapid sequence of the stock library aerial footage flicked by. Shorelines, tropical beaches, speedboats, sailboats, waves, lagoons, storms, and so on. Under those generic scenes, a soundtrack played, its bright, sparkling synthesizer chords washing along with the watery images. Golden 3D letters shimmered across the screen. The Beachcomber. Special sub-aquatic edition. A wave crested over the letters, drowning them in water. The wave receded, revealing a photograph of shining wind. It was the one where he poses in front of the bus in Alaska, the light around him dusky and the surrounding foliage thin. I'll be brief. Who knows how long it will be before this video is deleted. The beachcomber droned. This is Shining Wind, a.k.a. Jonathan Glasse III. Here he is paying homage to the late Christopher McCandless, a.k.a. Alexander Supertramp. The latter has been an inspiration to many. The bus in Alaska that we see here is where McCandless perished. Over the years, the bus became a mecca for like-minded freethinkers until the authorities removed it by helicopter to an undisclosed location. Too many had put themselves in harm's way. Doug's bedroom window rattled again. He looked out into the darkness as another gust of wind spattered rain against the glass. But what would McCandless say if he knew that Shining Wind has recently fallen into the grips of a dubious New Age cult? The beachcomber continued. A cult that is ultimately doing the dirty work for a secret agency rooted in Cold War-era mind control and brainwashing research, in interrogation methods that owe their very existence to horrific and inhumane experiments at Nazi death camps. Is this commensurable with the open-spirited and countercultural values that Supertramp followers hold so dear? No, it is not. The video cut to a screenshot from Google Maps, 
showing the northern tip of Sternum Island, with Leak Point circled in red. It zoomed in and dissolved into a photograph of a sprawling, two-storied institutional building. Surrounded by a barbed wire fence, the sheer northern incline of Mount Costa loomed up behind it. Leak Point was a place that Doug recognised, but had only ever seen in the flesh once or twice when he was younger. It was a teenage dare on Sternum to take a midnight drive out there with friends. This is the Leak Point Young Offenders Correctional Facility on Sternum Island, the beachcomber explained. Sternum Island is one small part of the vast border islands archipelago in the Salish Sea. The Leak Point facility has gone by several names over the years. It was once a residential school housing indigenous children, but then was converted to a military base during the Second World War. After the war ended, the military supposedly left, and a young offenders' institute was opened. But widely corroborated leaks from whistleblowers over the years have shown that the wartime military projects, which took place at Leak Point, continued there long after. The video cut to a black-and-white group portrait. It showed mostly men and a few women. Standing in rows, they were smiling as if in a school photograph. Behind them was a sprawling grey Leak Point building. An animated red swastika appeared over the group, whirling in a ghostly blur. They were part of Operation Paperclip, the American military's renditioning of top Nazi scientists to the USA. These scientists specialized in many fields, but at Leak Point... They would specialize in biological warfare, interrogation techniques, and eventually the CIA's notorious MKUltra unit. The crimson swastika morphed into a fractal psychedelic tie-dye pattern and cross-dissolved into a group of long-haired hippies frolicking at a music concert. Fast forward through the 1950s and 1960s, and Leak Point would become an important site of research into brainwashing and mind control. It led the way in developing strategies and methods for brainwashing on a mass scale and the mind control of large populations. Here, in the placid northern reaches, former Nazi scientists and their lackeys pioneered methods of manipulation and propaganda that have become an ingrained part of our media and all our communications. The video zoomed into the frolicking hippies, onto the face of a dancing bearded man. He was laughing up at the sky, his mouth gaped open, as if singing out in ecstasy. That picture cross-dissolved into an image that Doug recognized as a still from an old, well-known movie. It showed a man, his head restrained by a leather strap. Electrodes were clipped against his skull, his eyelids splayed open forcibly with pronged appendages. Teeth bared, his mouth gaped open in a scream of terror. Experimental techniques included the prolonged use of psychedelic drugs, such as mescaline and LSD. Other techniques included electroshock therapy, sleep deprivation, sensory deprivation, hypnotism, and so on. But as ever, the greatest challenge for this kind of research was finding appropriate test subjects in large enough populations. The video cut to an old black-and-white image of several small toddlers in a nursery. They were all sucking on their thumbs, looking directly into the camera. Tears in their sad and scared eyes. And so, Leak Point Juvenile Correctional Facility was able to provide the scientists with an ongoing and ample supply of test subjects. 
Subjects who could be said to have existed on the margins of society. Subjects who, if they disappeared, wouldn't have many friends or family raising questions. And a captive population around Leak Point on the island with limited contact to the rest of the world. The image cut back to the frolicking hippies. At the same time, the social and cultural revolution of the 1960s and 70s was taking place. In many ways, it was fueled by the psychological insights and psychedelics the governments had been weaponizing over the previous decade. Out of that cultural upheaval came many new alternative movements, from the yippies to the yuppies, from the human potential movement to the Jonestown massacre. There was an exploding interest in all types of spirituality, from Eastern philosophy to Western esotericism. The younger generation's appetite for new types of knowledge and new ways of living was insatiable. The image of the frolicking hippies cut to a grainy black-and-white photograph of four serious-faced, long-haired young people. They were dressed in thick, monk-like robes, standing in front of a large teepee. Above its entrance was a small handmade sign, its rough letters awkwardly cut from some textile, and sewn onto the teepee canopy in an arc. Golden Years, New Atlantis, Sweat Lodge, Thing. One of the most mysterious yet influential groups to come out of that time was the so-called Golden Years group. Their beginnings in philosophy are unknown, but this image is thought to show some of its founders in an Oregon commune in the late 1970s. If you know this group, then you likely know these names. The video zoomed into the blurry faces. Marcus DeVray, the beachcomber said as the video passed over a burly, mustachioed man. He was most certainly not the current Marcus DeVray. Sanctity DeVray was a thin-faced, pale-skinned woman, her long, straight, jet-black hair perfectly parted in the middle. Around her neck was wrapped coils of metal necklaces, decorated with precious stones. Bruno Tuscarian was younger, with a full head of hair but had his familiar detached and almost regal aloofness. Whispering bird. Her face was almost completely obscured in a blur of movement, but you could see her blonde hair had been braided in concentric knots around her head, woven with small flowers. In one hand, she was carrying a tall branch. It was topped with an animal skull, possibly that of a wolf or some other canine. In the other hand, she held a dark cloth sack, drooping heavily from whatever was inside it. Tiberius Organ. Very young, long-haired with a scraggly beard and somewhat severe eyes, but a friendly open expression recognizable from the news photos Doug had seen. In Organ's outstretched arms was a small tablet. Doug squinted as it flashed by, too quickly to see. He thought he recognized the markings on it. They looked similar to the cuneiform script that had been on the glass cylinder when he first found it. Viewers will recognize that last name as the founder and CEO of the Inovasol Corporation. The close-up of Tiberius Organ, as a young, long-haired man dressed in monk robes, cross-dissolved into an older, trim, and manicured man. Instead of a teepee, Organ stood with colleagues outside the Inovasol headquarters in Seattle. He was laughing in joy, looking up at their new workspace, a vast, twisting organic mess of alloy and glass architecture. 
It reflected the clouds and intertwined with a neat forest of trees, hedges, rock gardens and ponds, making it hard to see where nature ended and the office began. Over the course of 30 years, Organ has built a Novasol up, from a humble online dating and second-hand sales website to a global corporation with many business interests. Among these numerous pursuits, Novasol is one of the federal government's largest contractors. For logistics and communications, human resources, and financial technology, Novasol has fingers in many pies. And following several recent large-scale leakings of documents by whistleblowers, it's clear that Novasol has been highly active pursuing research that started at Leap Point all those years ago. Organ's pleasantly open face, laughing up at his new cutting-edge office space, cross-dissolved into the image of a dolphin leaping up out of the sea, its mouth open and about to snap onto a small fish dangling from the outstretched arm of a man in a wetsuit leaning out from a boat. Any successes that MK Ultra or Leak Point and similar organizations may have had up to the 70s would have been expunged from any record. But we do know that this research into mind control is still ongoing, driven by a Novasol. Just two examples of many in the leaked documents include the psychophysical enhancement of maritime mammals, like whales and dolphins, turning them into programmable killers. A zoom of the video disappeared into the small black eye of the dolphin, then cross-dissolved into a close-up of a small dark glass cylinder. Doug blinked. Mass population brainwashing tech achieved by a Novasol are exemplified by the so-called forget-me bot. Developed by Novasol's aerospace and orbital unit, the forget-me bot is a self-powered cluster of atomic nanocomputers. It was first developed as a nanoprobe solution for outer space exploration, speculatively capable of traveling at one-third the speed of light. But they discovered that the gravitational tidal effects the forget-me bot created had ramifications here on Earth, bending the perception of time and space of those nearby, literally disrupting their sense of reality. Doug reached out to the bedside table and grabbed the glass cylinder. He held it up to the light of his phone as the video played. The tiny stars in the glass cylinder shimmered, and there was a dim glow from its core. The beachcomber continued. And further, our field research, made possible by patrons like you, has revealed more about Golden Year's growing presence on Sternum Island. They've started an accelerated development of the large property they purchased in the northern section of the island. This consolidates their relationship with the Novasol through the construction of a large satellite dish array. Alongside their usual fare of yoga, meditation, and other self-help programs. To achieve this, they're heavily lobbying the local government and population, offering jobs and other perks to gain favor. And it seems that Inovasol are also using their connections with federal and regional government to tighten their hold on Sternum Island, with the help of some shady characters. The video cut to the blurry iris of an eye. Slowly it zoomed out, revealing a photo of the school counselor, Gavin Gregory. He was holding a cup of coffee, leaving Brandy's Cafe. Right behind him was Sharon, her face out of focus, wearing the same ridiculously fuzzy red sweater with special guests across its front. Regular viewers might be familiar with this man. We 
first came across him last year, during our investigation into the Blubber Bay military installation. He goes by many different names, including Brian Balsman, David Dorchester, as well as Gavin Gregory. We don't know what his real name is, but we do know he has worked for several government agencies. Our investigation has learned that he is now working as a school counsellor on Sternum Island. Not only that, but Gavin Gregory is also working with the mayor's office, leading the Endless Wellness Initiative, which is, in turn, contracted out to Innovasol. The image of Gavin cut to a young woman dressed in graduation gown and cap, like out of a high school yearbook. It took Doug a second to recognize her face. Our field operatives also identified this person of interest, one July Straightmore. The picture of the youthful, happy July turned into an image of the bright pink missing poster. She is a local, but has spent much of her professional life traveling abroad. But now, Miss Straightmore has gone missing, along with the local law enforcement officer. But we have discovered some interesting connections Miss Straightmore has made through her life. An old photograph came up showing a large audience in an auditorium. On the stage was an older man at a lectern, his hand held outwards toward the crowd. This shows a lecture by Professor Anderson P. Anderson in 1983 at the Terminal City Museum of Humankind, where he was the founding director. Anderson spent his life studying religions, cults, and subcultures around the Pacific Northwest. We found this picture when we cross-referenced the faces of all Golden Years founders with Miss Straightmore's face. The video zoomed in to the front row of the audience. Animated red circles appeared around five of the faces, seated side by side. Red text appeared, naming each person. Here we see the DeVrays, Bruno Tuscarian, Whispering Bird, and Tiberius Organ, the founding members of Golden Years, all attending Professor Anderson's lecture series on First Nations burial rites around the Salish Sea. We found this image in the Terminal City archives. Another animated red circle appeared on a face in the second row, partially obscured by the original Marcus de Vray's voluminous hair. It was July. Miss Straitmer was also in attendance. It could easily be a simple coincidence, but we will pursue this connection in the coming days. Even more interesting are the results when we conducted a facial recognition search for Straitmore, focusing on declassified security and intelligence archives, as well as our own repositories of leaked documents and dark web databases. A sequence of still images from across the years, in numerous places around the world, flashed by. July is a young woman in her twenties, wrapped in a caftan and looking out over sand dunes in a desert somewhere. Older now, in her forties, a shot taken from a long distance of July sitting at a cafe terrace somewhere, maybe Europe, speaking with a man in a grey suit. Younger again and smiling, wearing a backpack and hiking some snowy mountain range. A distorted image of July's face, taken recently and seemingly without her knowing. There's a streetlight in the background, and maybe some porch banisters to her left, as if captured by a doorbell camera. Now, July smiling and surrounded by friends. The original image used for her missing poster, in the background a sign reading, Salish Sea Society of Independent Researchers, Xmas Bash. Another recent image of July, again shot from a long distance, as if she was being followed. 
standing on the sternum ferry boat's upper deck. Beside her stands Shining Wind, the two deep in conversation. We discovered Miss Straightmore has had a wildly varied career, and her face pops up in some very surprising places, from the Middle East through to the Balkans, South America, and many other places besides. Miss Straightmore's work as an archaeologist can reasonably explain most of her travels. Her employment through universities and non-governmental organizations took her to many foreign territories. When seen in chronology, Miss Straightmore's appearances in these various locales always occur right before or during some kind of political or social upheaval. And it is quite telling that according to several databases of leaked information, she is the subject of surveillance by more than a few foreign government intelligence agencies. If her archaeological work is so benign, then why would Soviet and then subsequent Russian Federation intelligence keep an active file on her, for instance? Why is she spotted in a South American mountain range, when at the same date a nearby village has been infected by a mysterious brain virus, one that decimates the village inhabitants and sends them into permanent psychosis? What is she discussing here with stinking wind? Is she somehow involved with golden fears? There are many questions surrounding who July Straightmore really is, and as ever, we shall pursue the truth, informing you as and when we discover the real facts. The image of July and shining wind cut back to the movie still of the screaming man in restraints, his eyes peeled open. But now, here is the crux of our story. Nova soul and golden years are one and the same. No spirit without profit. No business without a leader. No leader without a story. And what is the golden years story? That is a closely guarded secret. It makes the creed of Scientology or the Kabbalah seem as accessible as a Google search. What we do know of their beliefs through a blog once run by an ex-Golden Years follower, now disappeared. His fragmentary and maybe even purposeful disinformation. But it is thought that Golden Years believes it holds the key to a universal language, one through which they claim all things can communicate. From humans to animals, plants, minerals, and right down to chemical elements. The blog claims that the Golden Years Creed is recorded using cuneiform, the world's first writing system, created 6,000 years ago in ancient Sumeria. They date their inception to a far earlier time, 60,000 years ago, during the Paleolithic Age, a time when they claim that supervolcanic eruptions had reduced humankind to a population of no more than 1,000 people. The video showed a screen dump of internet posts, with keywords highlighted. Moon. Ancient regret, and so on. Our research is still ongoing, but we feel it is important to reveal what we know so far. We have aggregated many of the Golden Years-affiliated social media accounts, as well as troll farm activity, and notice the repetition of seemingly meaningless series of words. The words are invoked in different contexts and with different meanings, but always the same words in the same order. We do not know what it means. It could be a code, a spell, but I assure you, my patrons, we will get to the bottom of it all. Keep watch and steer clear when you see these words. 
Doug blinked as the rest of the familiar yet meaningless words scrolled past over the image of the screaming man. It cut to a pale-skinned beachcomber. She was hovering over a briny green digital animation of undulating waves. Dressed in her sailor's cap and coat, she stared into the camera, so absent-seeming and motionless that it took Doug a moment to realize that it was a video. Ahoy there, the beachcomber refrained. Ahoy there, stinking wind. I now speak to you directly, one to one, content creator to content creator. We have been friends and investigated the wild and wonderful fringes of our world together. We have created content together. These Golden Fears people are obviously insane. Wealthy beyond belief, but insane. Their myths are unedited Wikipedia entries. So why have you done it? Why would you join a cult? A cult who are directly responsible for such ethically questionable practices. A cult who would colonize as many minds as possible. Who would rule like lords over serfs? Why, Shining Wind? Why? Is this one of your ironic jokes? Or have we really lost you? Your former friends and allies await an answer. The beachcomber disappeared from the screen, leaving only the digital waves undulating at Doug. This episode is supported by all my patrons. The beachcomber spoke rapidly, straining from the effort of trying to sound chirpy. We cannot do battle without your support. Our content campaign continues. Hundreds of names followed, scrolling across the screen in an unreadable blur. Doug exhaled, feeling as if he'd held his breath all the way through the bizarre narrative. He tried to rewind back to its start, but the browser wouldn't let him. He reloaded the video. Video deleted. Doug locked his phone, and his room went dark. Outside, the cold night's wind rattled the gutters, and rain pattered on the window. He lay on his bed, holding the glass cylinder above him, his weary eyes peering into its dim glow, struggling to remember what the video he had just watched was about. Please rate and review this story wherever you may have found it, and share with any friends who you think might like it. Thanks for listening.